Blog Talk Radio. How about now? Dave, are you there? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, now finally. Been having some technical difficulties. Okay. It's been a while. Can you hear me at all? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yep. Ready whenever you are. All right. I I think I finally got it worked out. Okie dokie. All right. Well, Mr. Lagana, first of all, I want to thank you for coming on and putting up with my technical difficulties. And oh, so good. the I kind of want to dive right into it. I know uh, you're a busy man, don't have a lot of time. And so the fir- okay. first thing I kind of want to ask ask you is, you know, tell us a little bit about you. How did you become interested in wrestling? How did you get into the business? Uh, we know you worked with WWE, TNA, I believe ROH as well. Yeah, um, I'm, uh, I will give my age because it, I think it establishes. I found wrestling when I was 10 years old. I, I grew up actually on the NWA in Philadelphia, you know, WWE. Uh, been a fan my whole life and uh, did a lot of work in the entertainment industry. I'm one of those dreaded Hollywood writers that the people – um, twirled over evil mustaches at that I've ruined the business, which shockingly I haven't. Um, and, you know, in 2002, prior to a uh, writer's strike that was impending that actually didn't happen, I, I got a job offer from WWE and worked on the creative team for six years, worked under Paul Heyman for a year uh, until he was sent home the first time. Uh, it happened three times, by the way, while I worked there. And, I ended up running SmackDown from 2003 until 2006. I went to work with Paul Heyman on the relaunch of ECW, which everyone seemed to really enjoy and love. Um, As a joke. And then, you know, I I ended up, uh, my time at WWE got to be short as far as it just, you know, you get hit a burnout factor. And I worked for Ring of Honor uh, based actually, you know, some people do or don't know this. And it's, it's like the, my relationship with Dave Marquez started in 2008 when he reached out after I left WWE and I went to work on the uh, NWA Championship Wrestling from Hollywood show, the, the the vaunted first one, I think it was like November. It's where I met Adam, Adam Pierce. Uh, ended up becoming friends and, and business associates with them. And, you know, Adam was starting the Ring of Honor TV after he took over after Dave. And he's like, listen, I need help. Um come do this first TV and I offered to do it as a favor just to do the one TV. And, you know, I ended up building a really great relationship with the Cuban people who saw the value of having somebody uh, help them produce their TV show that uh, wasn't just more of the same. So I, I produced every episode of the ROH on HDNet show. I think we did a hundred. And uh, as Sinclair bought ring of honor, they had, gone very old school with their management and 
they were actually looking to go in reverse of the direction we had taken the company as far as digital and forward facing. You know, they they were obviously building syndicated TV, which was fine, but you can't throw away the digital aspects. So I uh, took a job offer from Jeff Jarrett to come help him with the India show, and I worked at Impact for five full years and wrote over 250 episodes of Impact. And uh, yeah. So I've been I've been working the business 16 straight years. I've collected a paycheck from the pro wrestling business. Um, you know, it may not mean a hill of beans to some people, but uh, you know, I think I'm pretty proud of my my career. Well, I think that's a pretty good career. Not very many people can say they've worked successfully for the top companies in the business. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's um, been, um, and actually, it helped build careers. You know, that's the other part. Is I see, I see a lot of experts and people who've worked in companies spend a lot of time uh, trying to discount the work that I've done, the work that Billy's done, which is fine. It, it, you know, everyone's allowed their opinion. Um, it's, it's just interesting to watch people try and, uh, well, they don't know what they're doing. I, I had one person reach out, you boys don't know what you're getting yourselves into. I said, oh, no, we're pretty good at this, but it's okay. You know, every, that's the great part is we, every day we all wake up and we can do anything we want. It's just the question of the, of the talent and the tenacity to actually get it done. So I'm assuming that it was during your time with TNA, of course, that you started working with uh, Billy Corgan. I've actually known Billy for about 10 years. You know, he's a, he's a giant wrestling fan. You know, he's loved it since he was a kid. Uh, and I've known Billy since I actually worked at WWE. And, you know, he was actually scheduled to be my last guest on my, my vaunted podcast that I did in 2011 uh, that I never actually got to do it with him because I got the job at TNA, but I've been friends with him for about 10 years. So that's a good long time relationship. So, yeah. uh, of course we won't dive into it, but we know what happened with uh, TNA impact. Mm-hmm. Global force wrestling impact, whoever they are nowadays. And yep. uh, so we know what happened with Billy. He came in as president, tried to buy it out. That didn't work. Uh, around, well, I actually, right let me, after that. Let me, let me correct, let me correct something. Cause I, I think people have the timeline kind of screwy in all right. 2016, Dixie Carter approached Billy for an investment. Billy paid the salaries of everybody in that company from June 15th until the day he was uh, until October literally funded the company for three straight months. Um, I think people forget that fact. Um, you know, he didn't just want to be president. You know, he, he kept people working. He paid people's mortgages. And, you right. know, in an attempt to, yes, fund the company. That, but I feel like that's not talked about. It, it's like, like people saying he lost the lawsuit, which he didn't lose. And, you know, it's, it's fine. I just I, I want to make people understand that he's actually a good human being uh, beyond, you know, being a rock star and a guy that likes wrestling. Right. So, uh, so those events happened shortly thereafter, uh, you took your leave and I know you just recently talked about that on another podcast. So Mm -hmm. we'll just get to the part was who approaches who about wanting to do business with the NWA or buying out the NWA. Uh, the idea was brought to us. You know, Billy still wanted to do wrestling, and 
this is the interesting quandary because, you know, everybody's like, well, what did you guys buy? Um, if you were to start a wrestling company today and you were going to call it Alliance Wrestling Association, even though Vince McMahon actually owns that trademark, or the AWA trademark, um, you know, there, there are very few names that, that have brand equity to them. Like, you know, that are available in the marketplace. So the idea of buying the NWA, and Billy's obviously a large historian. I don't know if people know that or not. You know, Billy loves, he's a very historical base, you know. He, he loves reading up on the NWA history and Fred Kohler and all these names that, you know, are in all these things. So when the opportunity uh, came around, you know, we reached out to Mr. Tharp and gauged his interests, saw, saw what he was looking to do, and, you know, he was open to the idea. It took a while, and, you know, a lot of people got involved once they heard, and, you know, in the end, we ended up with it. It took a little bit longer than I think we had hoped, but uh, I think we're all really happy with it. All right. Uh, I personally have been a fan of the NWA since 1981. I still remember getting cable and turning into Georgia championship wrestling and, you know, uh, Rick Flair was the champion by then. So that's, that's what I grew up on right there. You know, then I moved into Texas and of course got involved in world class and everything. And so uh, the brand was very important to me. And so even though it hasn't been what it, what it was back in its glory days, I've certainly been glad that the brand has stuck around and, now has a chance to grow. Now, one thing that the NWA was known for, of course, was back in the territory days, it was built out of a lot of territories. I came here to Texas, yeah. and Rick Flair was still the world champion here in Texas. Yeah. And so others have tried to keep that model around. Uh, the last attempt was, of course, the licensed promoters. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm understanding that, you know, of course, as of October 1st, the licenses ended. You guys are kind of going with the single promotion idea. Uh, how did it go when you had conversations? I don't think that's accurate. Uh, we're, we're, the, the only thing, that, the thing that we, we didn't even buy a promotion. We bought three right. letters and titles. So, I, like, the, the, I, I, I've read all of the stuff of, like, well, they're going to run a single promotion. We are open to any idea that helps build the brand. How, how many of the licensees shows have you had you gone to in the last two years? Oh, in the last two years, about five. And what did you think? Oh, some of them were pretty good. Some of them were your average. You can indie show that you could see anywhere. You know, draws a hundred and fifty people. Did they, or... did they match your eighty-one experience? I'm sorry, say that again. Did they match your 1981 experience? Uh, no. Uh, here's a good example. I was in, I've seen two NWA world title changes. One was yep. at Texas Stadium with Kerry Von Erich, which was yep. the largest crowd up until that time. Uh, the yep. other one was recently when Jack Stane beat uh, a Tenzin for the title. You know, one, I was in a football mm-hmm. stadium with 43,000 people. The other, I was in a gymnasium with, uh, you know, roughly 200 people. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. Affiliates, the, the affiliates were, you know, I went I went to about six affiliate shows. You know, the, the, the when the news broke that Billy bought the company, I think it was early May. In reality, we mm-hmm. didn't have full control. You know, there's a lot of legal stuff that had to happen. You know, I know there's a lot of people who think they know what happened and things that, you know, they think are there. You know, Billy's got a great legal team. You know, it took a long time to figure out the trademark stuff. You know, we've talked with every wrestling promotion uh, based upon what we have and had really good in-depth conversations about what we do and don't have legally. Um, And, you know, my hope was to get to all the promotions. Just The time didn't happen because they really didn't take control of the company until July. Um, And in reality, I'd like you to get 20 people together and decide where you're all going to go to dinner. (laughs) <laughs> and that 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 to me, you know, and, and, you know, I'm a good student of history, and obviously I know Dave Marquez, and, and I obviously don't know a lot about the Tharp regime. Uh, I'm happy to read everything that everyone is happy to talk about till the end of time about what did and didn't work. But in reality, every, all those licensees, they couldn't agree on anything. And it was a bunch of infighting and a bunch of, you know, even, even, to the, even till October 1st, I was still dealing with things that Bruce Tharp did. And the, here's the difference, and I, not one of the, the licensees has said publicly, I took every one of their phone calls, sometimes on the first ring. I was there to service their license agreements that we didn't have to actually honor. In reality, we didn't have to honor them. But it was, it was, it was our decision to continue it forward to let them get their full value of what they had purchased. You know, these people had put a lot of money out. They made a business deal with Bruce Stark, not us. And, you know, I, I had to hear Bruce's name a lot, and Bruce knows this, you know what I mean? I had, I, had, I had to handle a lot of the messes because people didn't communicate, and I'm a very clear communicator. I was very clear that with every one of them from early May until July until the last week, so it's about 90% chance, 95% chance we will not continue the licensing program. If you've read the licensing agreements, there, there's no upside for either side. So... You know, but I did want to keep a good relationship with all of them. And, you know, right. I, have, I have good relationships with some, and some just – some wanted, wanted guarantees that I couldn't give them on October 1st. You know, as we move forward, the key is to bring the house to the studs. If you're going to rebuild a house, you, you, don't, you don't just do it one uh, t- piece of tile at a time. You, got, you have to look and see what's there. And I think that, as you've seen with the relaunch and, you know – like, like people thought that Dave Marquez was going to get the letters on the front of his show. That wasn't the that wasn't the agreement from Twenty One Jump Street. You know what I mean? Dave knew what he was getting. He was going to have the ability to book the champion, and just like anybody else who could offer us the proper um, spotlight on on that championship or the brand, we're open to talking. That's the thing. But a lot of the a lot of the offers are, well, we could do a lot for your brand. Okay, cool. How? And ultimately, every one of these business pitches does a lot more for the person than it does for the brand, which is, I think, was the was the thing that hurt the brand for the last few years. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's always been history of anytime you got a group of people trying to work together, like I said, they go NWA in its glory days. You know, Fritz von Erich didn't like the Funks, who didn't yeah. like Eddie Graham, or you know, what, whatever, and. It, it, it's not it, a new problem. Most, right, and most of it was they were just a dominant person, and then uh, Sam Mitchell, who was president for years and years and years, 
you know, he was a strong personality. He dominated the organization and the title, and he made he made the decisions. Yeah. Well, and you know, ultimately, you know, Adam Pierce talks about that title being the godfather to, to basically every major title. Every major wrestling organization has has spurned off of the NWA in one form or fashion. You know, they all have come off this this idea. And, you know, like you said, it, 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 the promoters, it's hard, it's, like I said, it's hard to get 20 people, it's hard to get five people to decide where to go to dinner. So the good, the good thing that Bruce Stark did, and, and, and he consolidated the brand under single control, that, that, and that made this purchase able to happen because I don't know if people know or not, there have been multiple attempts to purchase the NWA. I would even be wondering, think about back in 1988 when Jim Crockett Promotions sold to Turner, they probably couldn't even buy the NWA then. It actually probably would have helped them more if they would have were able to buy the NWA name for the history, but in reality, they had to rebrand as WCW. And, you know, the, the reason WCW succeeded the way it did was at least had ties to the NWA in, in all those strong markets, but they didn't have the letters. So that's what I mean. There's, there's always been this thing about it, and I can't judge it because I wasn't part of running it, but you can just look at history and, and, and the infighting and the drama and the... Like, like, if that was part of the story, it'd be great, but it, it never was. So, this is why we like the approach we're taking. All right. Now, of course, like you said, you basically bought three letters and some belts. On the surface, and yeah. We see, yeah. I mean, in a concept, I mean, there's some goodwill associated with the name. There's some brand value associated with the name. Yeah. Uh and we see, we've seen the start here. We've seen the promo videos for Tim Storm. We've seen his interview in Championship Wrestling from Hollywood. And I think it's a yeah. very good time to point out the fact that this is the first time that a change in major control or ownership didn't result in the title becoming vacant, the world title. You know, when WCW yeah. left, twice the title became vacant. When uh, it went to TNA, TNA wanted it vacant so that they could fill them. When it left TNA, they were vacant again. When uh, Bruce Tharp and his partners originally took over, it became vacant again. So we're actually at a point where there's some continuity going here. And so oh, I'm, I'm assuming that was a – well, well uh, I'm trying to get to here. Uh, I'm assuming that was a conscious decision to make to – to help build up Tim Storm as your champion at first. Because, you know, well, again, a lot of people were predicting a title change last week. Of course, because that's where that's where the agenda-based minds, you know, and, and again, I, I spoke to everybody that was, and, and uh, let me clarify this. I spoke to everybody that had business to do with the NWA. I didn't have time to be chasing you know, I had people emailing me, I can help you, I can do this, I know these people. Great. Do you have a business relationship with the company? Because ultimately where we started was you had all these affiliates and you had all these talents that, you know, were champions and all this stuff. And, and I approached the business that way, the people that had put their money, time, and effort in and of the current company that we had purchased. But we didn't, I didn't buy whatever – the group in Portland, I didn't buy, I, I bought the license, you know, or the, the, those were licensees. So I called every one of the champions that, 
or the belts that, that Billy legally purchased uh, and, and let them know of that fact and let them know that at holding onto that title, they're holding onto the property of, of Lightning One, you know, which is the parent company of, of the NWA now. And just to not do anything that would uh, harm the reputation of the company. And if, if, if they were not willing to abide by that, be happy to, to part right then. Very clear with them, just with the licensees. And, you know, we, we, we ran a bunch of different scenarios as far as what we were going to do. And when we made the decision to, you know, I took the time to get to know Tim Storm. And Tim is a quality human being. And I don't know if you've ever met Tim or know Tim. You know, he, he, he yes, believed I'm... NWA. He, 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 he made it clear. And, and we, we, had, we had multiple discussions. And I made him a promise. So, Tim, you're the current NWA world champion. The, the vision that Billy and I had is the one we're executing. Uh, we, we did not want to come out of the gate and just run shows just because you're running shows. You know, I had a lot of people try and make deals after October 1st that, again, benefited them and them alone. And, you know, and, and the deal I made with Tim is, is if you trust me and if you trust Billy, we're going to make you uh, part of the lexicon of the history. I think a lot of people beyond those who have followed the NWA intimately in the last few years, they don't know who Tim is. And I took that as a challenge. And, and I like challenges. I like making people care about characters. And so when the uh, – yeah, we could have stripped it. Yes, we could have beat him on the first night. I think that's short-sighted because if you beat somebody that no one knows, then they didn't beat anybody. And anybody who thought that, to me, that, that they, 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 they thought how they would. And in their heart, that's, that, that's how they would have done it. And I think Tim is – I, I've used this analogy in various interviews. I think Tim's Rocky, if you would have tuned into Rocky and he was already the champion. He's a guy that's living a normal life that's the NWA world champion. And you might say, well, geez, is that the best representation of the brand? But guess what? That's the representation of the brand. And if you aren't honest with yourself about what you have, then there's no story. There's nowhere for his character to go. So the idea of building this everyman champion that has been wrestled for 20 years is interesting to me. I like that story. And thankfully, it's, it's my job and Billy's job to tell that story and make him interesting to an audience that has never seen him. So that's why we made the decision, and that's why literally it started with Tim. The very first thing we put out was Tim's story, and we will expand the brand from that because that title, the 10 pounds of gold, is what people know the brand from best. Yeah, you know, here's actually an interesting statistic for you. Assuming Tim Storm makes it through the end of the month as champion, which looks like he will, this will actually be the first time that there are back-to-back year-long world title reigns since Jack Briscoe, Terry Funk, and Harley Race did it in the mid-'70s. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I, I think it's just an interesting thing that we're seeing some stability that many would tell you is lacking in wrestling in general. Yeah. Uh, the, the storytelling is lacking in wrestling. There, there, tell me the last great wrestling story that, that you were engaged in and really, really made you want to see the payoffs in. Yeah, right. Probably early NWO. So, you know, and, and I, I've, done, I've written a lot of stories and, 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 I know people will, will, will claim I've failed everywhere I worked, which is not true. 
people will claim I don't know what I'm doing, which isn't true. The, 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 the nice part of, of being able to execute is you get a chance to learn from the, the, the stories you write. And I think I'm a pretty good storyteller. You know, I, I've made a lot of, I've written a lot of stuff. I've shot and, you know, uh, uh, Billy and I went on the road for 30 days and executed 30 documentaries in 30 straight days, telling an interesting story every day to help build character and brand. Did it with Drew Galloway. You know, I think we can tell a really interesting story with Tim Storm at the NWA champion. I think, I think that title is a character in itself. The first video, I don't even think, I think you saw Tim's face very quickly. The belt was the story. And the idea is, you know, the, the legendary names that have carried that title, that the, the Tim Storm's fight for, I don't want to say relevancy, but, but to put his name up there to me is an interesting story. And it would have been a disservice to him and the men who held that belt to simply beat him day one with anybody. Even if, I, even if Hulk Hogan said, brother, I'm going to wrestle him for the belt, if he beats somebody that nobody knows, it doesn't mean anything. And I'm not saying Hulk Hogan is the NWA world champion because I can't wait to read that headline. <laughs> All right, well, we'll avoid that one. Okay, so our, our next logical question from here would be, What's the status of the other titles? Are they just kind of dormant? Are they vacant? I mean, are you interested in bringing any of them back on a full-time basis? The NWA was a little title-heavy. Had a world heavyweight, world junior heavyweight, tag team, women's, North American, national. Continental. There's uh, the NWA Southeast Midget Champion. The, the my favorite, and it was my misunderstanding of the guy. Um, there was a guy at a, a, a Todd Humphrey had the NWA Central States, and he goes, "I had the Missouri Italian Champion." I'm like, "That is pretty damn specific." And he was talking about the guy Kareem, he that he was Italian. I'm like, I was to say, if there was a Missouri Italian Championship, then I think we got a real problem here. We got too many belts. Um, yeah, that's a little so anyway. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm Italian, and I didn't realize there were that many Italians in Missouri. But, yeah, that, that's the thing, and that there were so many titles, so many. And, you know, uh, I, I, I use this term, and I told all the champions this. I said the titles are in suspended animation, meaning they just are, are there. Seeing anybody, I'm not – like, if we decide to either get do away with the title or whatever, we will do so at a different time, but – like, like it's it's sort of like the Tim the Tim thing. I wasn't going to strip Tim. I and, and we discussed all options, but then the optics of it, you know, un, uh, when you're not running a, a show, why that comes into quality control. And and I think there wasn't a lot of quality control in in the past. You, the the guys were doing stuff, and I could tell you stories of things I I dealt with personally, where it it became very selfish. And so our decision is to focus solely on the world. Now, that doesn't mean that I might decide to do a program with the women's title in two months. It doesn't mean that Billy wants to do something with the tag titles in three months. But we're going we're gonna to approach this one step at a time because if you're – especially with a with – a, with a, and it's interesting. I've used this term. The oldest wrestling brand in the country is actually a startup. We are a startup company. And – because there was no infrastructure, we bought what do we buy? Three letters and some titles. So to make them relevant, you have to you have to build it one thing at a time. You got to get one product right before you release seven. That's our approach. 
one of the things right that I well, it makes a lot of sense. Almost too much for wrestling. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that is big now is that when I go to sh- shows, your independent shows, I see a lot of grandparents and young grandkids, mm-hmm. which means that that kind of teenage through early 20s, like, you know, or early 20s, maybe um, maybe even up to 30 is missing. Uh, yep. I would think that would be a, that's an advertising group. We all know that's the group the advertisers love. What do you feel wrestling needs to do, and maybe the NWA specifically, to start engaging that group, those teenagers, twenties? You, you you create characters and situations that appeal to an audience, and then you go where they are. So, for example, I don't think the NWA did anything to go to twelve to sixteen-year-olds. You're not on television. How are you going to hit that consumer if you're not speaking to them online properly? Do you know what the number one social network is for teens 8 to 16? Uh, no, I do not. It's called Musical.ly. It's a, it's a karaoke app um, that Billy and I met with in February. They have 100 million kids 18 or 8 to 16 years old. Kids don't watch television anymore. Go find people that have nope. kids and see them on television they watch. They watch YouTube. They watch uh, – they're on Musical.ly. They're on Facebook. They're on WhatsApp. They're, 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 the, the, the whole universe has changed, and wrestling has not. Everybody is now a character, meaning 10 years ago, your mom, when she wanted to share something, she'd have to email somebody. 20 years ago – She'd have to go to the supermarket and talk to them. Now, she's a character on Facebook entertaining people with sharing stories and pictures and all that stuff. Your mother is – I'm not talking about your mother specifically. I'm, I'm just in general. Everybody's their own content provider. Wrestling is still in the same model. It's like a newspaper. They're still running it like it's a newspaper. And the approach is – you know, I asked a couple of promoters, how oh, do you do Facebook ads? And they said – we do Facebook. I said, show me what you do. And they showed me they post posters on Facebook to their, their, to their friends, which is fine. That's, yes, that's an acceptable thing. But you want to reach uh, 12 to 16-year-old kids? You advertise to them on Facebook. You, you, you create content that speaks to a 12 to 16-year-old. You create a, a video, a picture, something engaging, not an ad, but like content and you, you advertise to – if you're running a show in Sheboygan, you make content that speaks to a 12- to 16-year-old in Sheboygan. The same – like, that, that is available to anybody in the world. You and I can create an ad right now to advertise this podcast. If you say you want it to be to um, 17-year-old boys in St. Louis, we could spend money that, that only 17- to 25-year-old boys in St. Louis can listen to this podcast. That's how specific the world has gotten with advertising. And I don't feel like a lot of people are realizing how easy it is to actually reach consumers. So. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a very different world, which, you know, brings up when you think NWA, you think tradition. Yep. And, but you also got to mix that with today's 
contemporary thing. I mean, everybody thinks they're smart today, whether they are or aren't is another question. But, you know, everybody thinks they are. Everybody understands the nature of sports entertainment. So how do we mix the tradition of the National Wrestling Alliance to what is out there today? Or do you even try? I think you go to the core. I've been using the term energy. You go to the energy and core of what people loved about the NWA. I grew up with it. I was 10 years old. And on Saturday mornings, I would watch the WWF on Channel 29 in Philadelphia. I think it was on at 10 and noon. I don't know why there was an hour off, but there was. I think it was on different stations. And then at 1 o'clock, Worldwide would come on. And they were vastly different. WWF was cartoonish. NWA had an energy of being more tough guy, real legitimate. So I'm pretty sure we're not going to have the gobbledygooker in any version of the NWA we have moving forward. Also, the, I would say the most talked about period of the NWA of, of the recent era was, was the Crockett era, the single company, right? You know, right. And so, 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 you can't judge, oh, the NWA succeeded when we had territories. I, I, I hear that all the time. That's great. Does it work? If it worked, show me when it worked. And it's, and it's fine. And, and history and the market prove everything. But, you know, the, the NWA that I visited, it didn't work. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just didn't. And if it, if, we had, if it was working, guess what? We would have kept it on. And I understand the tradition, and I'm a big traditionalist. Learned from Dusty Rhodes. Got to work with Ric Flair. Got to do all this stuff. But you have to adapt to the market. WWE is struggling at live events right now. They're hiding it, but they are. They, because guess what? Their live events aren't adaptable to the market. Meaning, if you go to one WWE live event, you've been to them all. They're all the same. Nothing happens. And think about the digital world we live in where stories are told on a daily basis. Daily basis, our president is a social media star more than he is the president of the United States. He doesn't just go to a town and give the same speech. He is creating content and narrative every day. So how do you take the tradition of the NWA and tell it in, in, a, in a, 24, uh, a 21st century mode? I'm not saying you've got to be Donald Trump, but you have, to, you have to communicate in the way the world is communicating now. And that may be too ethereal for some people, and they may want to wonder what territory the central states champion will be traveling to next. But the, the world is moving at a much different speed, and people have access. The fact that this interview can be listened to anywhere in the world right now, correct, is, is completely correct. different than, than when Harley Race was traveling the world as the NWA world champion and used to do title changes in Australia to help the local promoter. I had somebody offer to do that for us and said, well, well, it'll be good for, it'll be good for this area. Said, yeah, but we'll be have control of the company and it's not the right optics for the company. It was again, good for the other person, but not good for the brand. My job and Billy's job is to protect that shield. Billy is the custodian of this thing that everybody loves. Everybody's got a strong passion for it. And I love it, but everyone had a, had a chance at it. It seems, but now it's, it's our chance. And we're, we're, our, our job is to make it good. And I think we're, we're, we're going to do that. In an interview, Billy talked about doing some Internet-based 
TV show. Yep. If I understood correctly. And uh, we're yep. wrapping down to about seven minutes left. So uh, what can you tell us about that? I, I know he said spring. Yep. Springtime. We're, um, yeah, we're gonna, basically what he said is what, what we're exploring. You know, we're, we're going to – he has a large affinity for Georgia Championship Wrestling and the TBS show. We want to create that energy on, on a – you know, and, and when, when people say Internet, they think, oh, but in reality, it's more accessible. And right now, wrestling on the Internet is behind paywalls. This show will be free and available to anyone who wants to watch it, and we hope it to be everywhere we can place it. And that's the point. And, and we want it to be live every week. So, you know, well, that's very we, we want to create a show that you can't, you can't miss. So, I would, Tina, I would think that's a good example of bucking the modern system. Like you said, most people, they, if you want to see my show, you got to pay to see it or download it or or I'm putting on a show that's being produced by my son and his uh, $300 camera. So the, the show uh, show will be uh, it will not be from the Staples Center. It won't because that right. that's where a swing for the like there there is a nostalgia to the to the to the vibe we want to create, the studio wrestling show we want to create, we think works. And because it's tied to our history. Now, if we would have bought in the WWE trademark, just, you know what I mean? And we try to do a studio wrestling show. It doesn't match, but the NWA is known right. for those things. Yes. It was bigger in certain parts. We're, we are creating content based around it. That's why the champion is so important. That title, somebody asked Billy, are we, cha- are you changing the title? He goes, why would I, what did I buy then? You know, it's like <laughs> there, there is, if you notice the social media we've put out, it's been around the champions. Because that's 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 the thing, that's how these brands are built, and when you have a nostalgia brand, which it is, and you want to attach to an older audience, but also educate a younger audience, you 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 go with what they know. If you look up the NWA, you get a picture of that belt, and kids Google it, so they'll be interested and they'll go and read the history. Yes, we did not get a tape library. We have access to the Houston Library, you know, to do stuff with that we will, but like. The NWA history exists in many places. It's on YouTube and all that stuff. We didn't have to pay for it. If we were to have bought what, you know, it would have been millions and millions of dollars. We didn't have to do that, but we can still lean on that history. It's still the history of this brand and the energy we're going to create moving forward. And I think you'll see that on the show. In the idea, I'm not saying there'll be Rock and Roll Express 2020, but, you know, if, if the energy of, of a team like that exists, then great. Because it. That, that's the kind of stuff that we want to create is the feelings you used to have in 1981 to 1986. All right. And let me wrap up with uh, this question then. What, are you guys, obviously you probably can't give any names or anything like that, but I mean, are there specific wrestlers that you guys are interested in? Are there free, free agents out there that, you know, you would want to pursue or are you still looking at? Everything. No, we. Um, um, to be clear, we're probably going to sign two to five people to exclusive contracts. That will be, you know, sort of. I call it the Tim Storm treatment. They will be full-time characters in our universe that you will interact with and see 
every day, but part of this weekly show. But we also will have other people that, you know, we, again, we've talked with every promotion and we've talked with every, from major to small. We want, we want, we want to be available to everybody. Meaning that if, if, if we can help somebody, great. We're, we're not, we don't have large aspirations beyond brand building and seeing where it can go. We're not telling Vince, we're not calling Vince or Van Zandt. We're in the wrestling business. We're, we're going to create something completely different in the marketplace. You know, the, the, the fact that I'm able to talk to you, I wasn't allowed to do interviews when I worked at TNA for five years. When I worked at WWE, I wasn't allowed to do interviews. We want to be as open and transparent as we can be, and, and that's why we're talking about the stuff we're going to do because that's the path we're going. There's no reason we can't talk about it because, great, WWE's going to do a studio show? Great, we're going to do the same thing. We know we're going to do it our way that we think will work. So, you know, th- there are wrestlers that we, we, we see, but as long as they it, – it's like a football team. You, you can build a system. Of course you need star players. You need people with talent. And I think we're adaptable, you know, and that's, that's where Tim is helping us set the, ta- the, the template. You know, it's, it's no secret that, that Nick Aldis worked that taping, and we're building towards a match with the two of them. And that's setting the, te- the tone and tenor of the, of the direction we're heading – but it also doesn't set – it's not set in concrete. You know what I mean? Like there's there, – there, we want to create an energy and an environment around the talent we use that tell really good stories that you don't get anywhere else. Well, I want you to know that I am personally very excited for this. Uh, right. I know I know you're a busy man, and we're uh, starting to run out of time here, but I hope that we can have you on again sometime and – uh, you, you know, get questions that we can and do some checkups and see questions. how things are going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know what if we're out of time, literally in two minutes. Is there any other questions I can answer for you before uh, time runs out? Uh, I, well, one question we no, get I mean, from the it. one question we get from the board is people are wondering about why you know there's a the WWE and Zero One Japan have the rights rights to use the title and or the name NWA and Perpetuality, and they were wondering if there was any mm-hmm. impact from that. Well, you know, w- w- Billy has a really good trademark attorney. Um, you know, we have a trademark in Japan. Um, I, I'm not a lawyer, so I can't speak to the ins and outs, but I'll, I'll say this, and I've read the WWE agreement, um, and from what I understand, the word perpetuity was not in there. I know, I know it's not said there's no defined uh, amount. I know Howard Brody has spoken about it and other people have. Here's the thing. Here's what I know about trademarks and the ability to use trademarks and all that stuff. Yeah, they yeah, have about the ability based upon – okay. Um, you know, from my understanding is what, when that was signed, it was the ability to use what was being produced at that time. Tell me how many NWA shows or things they've put out since that agreement's been signed. None. And I know zero one users. All right, well thank you for your time. Cool. Thank you. Thank you.